The scripture reading for this afternoon is Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Hear the word of God. Here it is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said of those of old, rather to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. The reason I've read from Matthew five twenty-one through 26 is to remind you that these commandments that we are considering, the Ten Commandments, they are to be kept not only externally, but in the heart. As we read Matthew 5, and following, we are to see that Jesus did not make this up when He said, you have, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. This was not something that Jesus invented. It was not a novel interpretation of God's law. And you should know that some people say that it was. Some people would say, well, that's not what the law originally meant, but now Jesus, the new lawgiver, has given a new law to us, one different from the old one. Now it is true that even hatred within the heart is, is a sin, a violation against God's moral law. No, this was not a new and novel interpretation of God's law that Christ gives here. This was not a stricter application of God's law. No, Jesus was simply presenting the true interpretation and the full application of God's law to His people. God's law was always to obey, not only in deed, but also in thought and in word. I think we are to remember that the commandments of God are summed up with these two. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, that text is quoted in the New Testament, but it is originally found in the Old Testament, the Law of Moses. It is Deuteronomy 6.5. So did you hear it? Here is the, the summary of the first table of God's moral law. You shall do what? You shall love the Lord your God. And, and how are we to do this? We're to do this with all of our heart, soul, and, and might. So the commandments of God, the first table of the law, we're to be obeyed, not merely externally, but inwardly. We were to love God. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as it says in the New Testament. And the second commandment Christ taught us is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, to keep the second table of the law means that we love our neighbor as ourself. Christ said so. These words are found in the New Testament, but they are originally found in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. And so that is why I'm saying to you, when Jesus talks about the law in this way, He's not 
He's not instituting something new. He's simply showing us what the true and proper interpretation and application of God's law has always been. So, I might ask you, have we kept the sixth commandment when we refrain from murder? Well, yes, but maybe not fully, you see. Not necessarily. The commandment is to be applied more broadly. We are not only to refrain from murder, we are also to seek to preserve our own life and the life of others. We learned about that last week. And we know that the commandment, the sixth commandment, along with all the rest, they are to be applied to the heart. We must not hate our neighbor. Neither are we to hold a grudge against our neighbor. We are not to insult them or or curse them. So the sixth commandment does not only forbid us from murder, from murdering another unjustly, killing another unjustly, it, 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 it forbids us from even hatred within the heart, harboring bitterness and resentment, insulting uh, others with our tongue. All of God's commandments are to be kept from the heart, friends. We must see this. And I'm sure that Jesus said what He said, as recorded in Matthew 5, in the text that we just read, to combat legalism. Legalism takes many forms, but the most common form is the thought that men and women may stand before God righteous through their obedience to God's law. I think a lot of people think this way, you know. They think that they will be all right in the end because they are good people, you know. I'm really a good person. So God will certainly look favorably upon me in the end because I am a good person. But when we read God's law, when we understand God's law, when we listen to the way that Christ taught about uh, taught on, on, on God's law, we, we, we begin to see, you know, we, we have not really kept this law perfectly. Though I have not committed murder, certainly I have had hatred in my heart at some time, or I've spoken a bad word against someone, I have done that. The legalist thinks in this way, they read, Thou shalt not murder, and they think, check. Thou shalt not commit adultery, check. Thou shalt not bear false witness, check. But when we truly understand the law of God, we see that God is not only concerned with the act of murder, the act of adultery, the act of bearing false witness in the court of law. No, if we think this, we have badly misunderstood God's law. God requires us to love Him with all that we are and our neighbors as we love our own selves. Once we understand this, we will be able to see that all have violated God's law in thought, word, and deed. And then we will also clearly see our guilt and our need for a Savior. I had our confession open just a minute ago and wanted to remind you where we are headed. We are considering the Ten Commandments one at a time. What's the first? What's the second? What do they require? What do they forbid? What are the reasons annexed? You know, we, we've been going through this very methodically, a, a consideration of, of the Ten Commandments. And we will eventually come to the end of that. But how will we bring it to a conclusion? The, the, the catechism will help us. It will ask the question, so have you kept it? You know, that's my summary of it. Have you kept these laws perfectly? The catechism will teach us to answer, no, we have violated these laws in thought, word, and deed. Again, that's my summary of, of what the catechism says. And then, essentially, what the catechism asks is, well, what should we do then? You know, How can we be saved? And it will urge us to run to Christ for refuge, to believe upon Him, for He has paid for all of our sins. The gospel is coming. That's, that's what I'm saying to you. We're, we're, we're considering law, and we're, we've been considering it for a while. We'll continue to consider it for, for a long time. We're considering law, but very soon... 
the gospel is coming, the good news that though we have violated God's law and thought, word, and deed, we have a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. We have learned what the Sixth Commandment requires. The Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. And now we learn what it forbids. The Sixth Commandment absolutely forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatever or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. First of all, the Sixth Commandment absolutely forbiddeth the taking away of our own life. Suicide and assisted suicide is a violation of God's law. Some might reason this way. My life is so miserable that it would be better if I died. But that is not your decision to make, friends. God has numbered our days. It is His right to give us life and to take it away. And it is a great evil to take that decision into our own hands. I'm afraid that those who think this way, you know, my life is so miserable that it would be better if I die, have forgotten that God is able to use our suffering for good. And I do run the risk of sounding insensitive here. I do understand that people sometimes suffer greatly. And I am aware of the fact that I myself am not currently suffering, nor can I claim to have endured any great suffering in my life. So I do acknowledge that I, I speak not from experience here. But if I am only allowed to speak from experience as a pastor, then there would be many things that I would never be able to say a word about. Do you realize that? From my experiences, just as your experiences, they're very limited. And so I do not speak on the authority of experience, but on the authority of God's Word. And God's Word is clear. He does work through suffering. He refines His people through suffering. He is able to bring good out of suffering. How He does it is often very mysterious to us, but we know that He does. And if you want proof of this, then look to Christ. See the good that came out of His suffering. We have just considered that this past week in a, in a pronounced way in our culture. We've considered the, the crucifixion of Christ, his, his burial and His resurrection. But consider His suffering and all the good that came out of it. More examples could be given. Indeed, I could pile up Scripture texts. But the sufferings of Christ provide sufficient proof that God accomplishes His purposes through suffering. And if we lose sight of this, then we will struggle as God's people to suffer well. In fact, we may even despair of life in the midst of suffering. But I need to say to you, brothers and sisters, do not despair. Persevere through suffering, knowing that God will keep you. He will use the suffering to refine you, to bring about some good, to accomplish His purposes somehow. Again, it is often a mystery to us as to what it is that He is doing but we must walk by faith and not by sight. And some may be tempted to take their own life into their own hands, reasoning that they do not wish to be a burden to others who must care for them in their suffering. But I think this too is a grave error. You must remember that God may use your suffering to refine those who have the privilege to care for you in the midst of it. Do not forget that. So whatever the reason, the Sixth Commandment is a great help to those who are despairing of life, for it strictly forbids us from taking our own life. It simply is warning us, it is commanding us, do not do it, it is not an option. We must leave the matter to God. 
For God determined the moment of our birth, and we are to leave it to Him to determine the moment and circumstances of our death. Some have wondered if those who commit suicide can be saved. Two things should be considered. First, Christ atoned for all kinds of sins when He died on the cross for His people, including violations of the Sixth Commandment. Do you guys believe that? Christ atoned for all kinds of sins when He died on the cross, including violations of the Sixth Commandment. This is a bit of a tangent here, but when Christ was crucified, two died next to Him. They were insurrectionists. They were murderers. They were vile criminals. One mocked Jesus as He died. The other cried out to Him for for mercy. And what did Christ say to that one? Today you will be with me in paradise. And so we must remember that the blood of Christ has atoned for all kinds of sin. No sin, with the exception of the sin of unbelief, is beyond the atoning power of Christ's blood. But secondly, the Scriptures do teach that we will know Christ's disciples by their fruits. Those who belong to Christ will keep His commandments. And so it is no wonder then that the sin of of suicide leaves everyone wondering what they are to think about the salvation of that soul. For that one's life comes to an end with an act of sin. I've heard many describe suicide as the most selfish act. And, And why is it described in that way? I think it is because it leaves so many behind wondering and mourning the tremendous loss, you see. And so I think you understand my answer to the question. The blood of Christ has atoned for all kinds of sins. Uh, nothing is beyond its, its power. I do think sometimes true believers have despaired to the point of suicide. But it is a great sin. It is a terrible sin. And it leaves so many wondering because indeed Christ's disciples are known by their fruits. With that said, it does break my heart uh, to see people come to such a dark place of of despair. Uh, These who are despairing, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know that hope and peace are found in Him. They need to know that there is a purpose to life and even to the suffering of life. And they need to know that life does not end when we pass from this world. No, every human being is in fact immortal. All will live forever, either in heaven or hell. And we must be found in Christ if we are to spend eternity with Him in heaven. For He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. And of all people, of all people, the Christian ought never to take their own life. Secondly, the sixth commandment absolutely forbiddeth the taking away of the life of our neighbor unjustly, or whatever whatsoever tendeth thereunto. I think these words, whatsoever tendeth thereunto, remind us that we are not to participate in anything that leads to the unjust taking of human life. It requires wisdom to apply this principle to our daily lives. And the word unjustly is also very crucial. It it indicates that while it is true that it is not our place to take away life, our own life, or the life of another, there are exceptions. And the exceptions are when taking away the life of another is just or right. There are three instances that come immediately to mind. One, in self-defense. Two, 
When the state rightly uses its power to punish a murderer, we remember the biblical principle that those who shed the blood of man shall have their blood shed. And, and who, who is to do that except uh, those with the power of the sword uh, given uh, to them? And three, in just war. As Christians, we must learn to think carefully and biblically about all of these things. If someone commits a crime against you, is it your place to punish them? That is one question that we should ask, and the answer is no. That is the job of the state. We are to leave it to the Lord to work through His ministers in the state to punish those who have committed a crime against you. And should the state punish every sin? The answer is no. There are many sins that are not criminal. Lying is a sin, for example, but it is not a crime. Unless the lie is uttered while under low oath or leads to the damage of another's person or property. I am here simply just trying to direct your minds to some of the questions we must ask concerning the application of God's moral law. And should the state use the death penalty to punish every crime? The answer is no. The murderer is to be put to death. Genesis 9 says so. And the murderer, had, and the murder itself had better be proven. But other crimes may be punished through restitution. Also, the Christian should think very carefully about what constitutes self-defense and what is to be considered just war. And I am simply acknowledging that we are now walking in the realm of ethics again, like we did last week, and ethical questions can be complicated at times. I think I would be remiss if I failed to address the great sin of abortion in this brief sermon. Abortion is the taking away of life, And these lives of the unborn are taken away unjustly. These little ones did not do anything to deserve being put to death by their own mothers and fathers. No, in the vast majority of cases, they are put to death on the basis of the preference of the parents. It is often about convenience. And this is clearly not right. This is not just. And if you have had an abortion, I must say it was a sin to do so. You violated the sixth commandment. But there is forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And so you must acknowledge your sin, trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and serve Him as Lord from this day forward. You must know that you will not be shunned by Him, for He is a gracious and kind God, and He is our gracious and kind Savior. And neither will you be shunned by us, for we are all Sinners saved by the marvelous grace of God. Amen, brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to know your word and give us the wisdom to apply it in every circumstance. This should be our prayer. But here is where we must begin. We must begin with God's law. And what does God's law say? Among other things, you shall not murder. What does this commandment forbid? You may repeat again after me. The sixth commandment absolutely forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, have mercy upon us, Lord. Father, we pray that you would make your church pure. 
May we live in a way that is pleasing to you. May we keep all of your commandments from the heart. For we know that you have renewed our hearts. You have written your law on our hearts. You have given us your spirit to empower us so that we might live in obedience to your revealed will. Of all the people, we should be found living in obedience to you. Lord, so give us wisdom as we walk in this dark world that we would walk as light in the midst of darkness. Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Christ and for the forgiveness of sins that we have in him. But Father, help us to never presume upon your kindness. May we live our lives now in obedience to you out of gratitude for what you have done. You have made us holy. Help us now to walk in a worthy manner. Father, we also pray for our society, which seems to be growing more wicked and corrupt by the day. Have mercy upon us, Lord, in this society. We pray that the truth of your word would go forth, that the truth of your gospel would be proclaimed, that we would see a great work of the Holy Spirit take place in this nation We pray that you would turn many to have faith in Jesus Christ. We pray even for just the sense of morality in our culture. We pray that our laws would be just, that our leaders would uphold justice and pursue justice truly. Lord, have mercy upon us. Give us this wonderful gift, Lord. We need it. We pray for all of these things in the name of Christ and all of God's people say, Amen.